We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. I am Megan Weiskup with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome back to a new episode of She Goes Outdoors. Well, Tana and I are here today, uh, joined by a couple guests, and we are chatting Christmas bird count. As we started this podcast episode, we were just chatting about how warm it is. Like here in Nebraska, it's going to be 60 some today as we record this. So it's hard to think about winter birding, Christmas in general. What a great opportunity, though, to go outside and enjoy the beautiful weather before uh, Mother Nature drops a cold bomb onto us. I am going to hand the mic right over to Tana, and she is going to introduce our guest for this episode. Let's chat Christmas bird count. Uh, thanks, Julia. It is so weird. I've really been struggling with my Christmas shopping because it seems like the weather is so warm. It's like, oh, I don't need a Christmas shop yet. It's still such a long ways away. And it's like, oh no, I have two weeks. <laughs> I'm right uh, there with you. Like last yeah. night it was 930 and I'm still, usually I've done Christmas shopping I, I I just not this year and I blame the weather only the weather I want to be outside and not on my computer buying gifts oh I know and everything all the shipping is so messed up with the state of things right now exactly well uh, moving right along so we're doing a little bit of a KDWPT takeover today we've got Chelsea and Jen joining us both are employees of the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks and Tourism so I'll throw it to Chelsea to talk a little bit about yourself, if you will, and um, your professional title. And then if you represent any other groups outside of the agency, go ahead and just let us get to know you. Well, thanks. Well, like Tana said, my name is Chelsea Hoffmeyer. I am the, the boating education coordinator for Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks and Tourism. I'm, I hail out of the Pratt Operations Office. Um, I'm originally from Hayes, Kansas. And Chelsea was along for the ride the very first time I ever went out birding and got to uh, tag along for the Christmas bird count. So she's super knowledgeable about birding and uh, (laughs) knows way more than I ever will about birds. (laughs) Well, it it comes with a lot of practice. Trust me, we love seeing new, new people out there. So it's always fun. Yay. We also have Jen joining us today. Jen, do you want to introduce yourself as well? Yeah, my name is Jen Rader, and I am the director of the Southeast Kansas Nature Center in Southeast Kansas, so very southeast corner, Cherokee County. I'm a naturalist, and I'm also vice president of the Kansas Ornithological Society. Very cool. Jen, how long have you been birding? My entire life. Um, (laughs) I think Tana and Chelsea are both familiar with my dad. (laughs) Um, And so I didn't really have a choice. He got started birdwatching when right before I was born and I've been birdwatching my entire life. Her dad is my, uh, we share an office. So I'm fortunate enough to get so much of that birding knowledge as well. So she, she was raised in a, in a a fun family. (laughs) What a great experience that you had to hang out with your parents and go birding that they provided you that 
education early on and that you can continue it on now as an adult? Well, I apparently have seen a roseate spoonbill that made its way to Kansas um, because I'm trying to think it would have been probably 86, 87, something like that. I was a baby and dad held me up to the spotting scope. So I saw it (laughs) um, apparently, but it was around Melbourne, sort of in the, the eastern southeastern part of the state and that must be a rare bird i'm not a birder so you'll have to uh you may have to explain to our audience and and me too well they're they're a coastal bird you know they're Ah, common you know along like the gulf coast or places like that so not something that typically shows up in this part of the the country well then it was lost because you're in kansas (laughs) and i'm in nebraska and we certainly are not yeah well and (laughs) you know, a bright pink bird. So definitely oh. something to yeah, be, cool. be easy to, to uh, locate anyways. We're, we're lucky in Kansas uh, where we're at to get quite a few lost birds every once in a while. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the fun thing about being, being where we are. Yep. Land of the no coast. That's us, right, Julia? <laughs> that's a good way to put it (laughs) so do you both um have you traveled around a lot for your birding or do you keep it pretty local to Kansas contrary to my to my job title now my degree is also in in wildlife biology I went to um like Jen went to Fort Hayes State um they have a wonderful biology program there um and kind of got hooked on birds during my you know sophomore ornithology class and it was kind of no no turning back from there so after that, I started doing um, avian field work. So I spent spent most of my 20s traveling around the country, chasing birds, <laughs> doing avian field work. So I uh, probably done more birding outside of Kansas than in, sadly enough. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I've traveled around a lot doing um, doing a lot of birding, whether it was personal or, or for work. So um, at this point, I need to do do a little more in Kansas. Very cool. How about you, Jen? I've probably got quite a bit more under my belt in Kansas, but I have gone places particularly for bird watching. Um, I'm really fond of the Sky Islands in like Arizona. So Chiricahua is that area. Um, Those are really favorite places. And I've been three times in a row, I think, three summers. Um, But Anytime I get to go someplace for a conference or something like that too, that's an opportunity. I'm always birding, never not birding. So everywhere I go. <laughs> Do you keep a journal or uh, or like a list of all the birds that you have seen in your lifetime? Yeah, I, I am not the greatest journalist as far as that goes, <laughs> but I do keep a life list and keep track of life birds. And that's and, awesome. You know, with, with the emergence of eBird, it's made things a little easier on that front, if I can remember to plug that stuff in. (laughs) I have a hard time looking at my phone when there's such cool stuff to look at. Oh yeah, definitely, (laughs) definitely. Jen, I love what you said about um, being able to bird basically anywhere. So when you travel for conferences or just for pleasure, uh, that's, I would imagine one of the best things about birding is that it requires fairly little equipment. You can really go out and do it wherever you just have Mm -hmm. to be um, and just have a perceptive eye. Exactly. Yep. You definitely, um, you know, you notice that you spend a lot of time looking in places most other people don't, like driving in cars, you know, down the highway. I always see all the birds and other people that really aren't, 
you know, honed into that. Wait, what, what did you see? <laughs> you know, they, they have no idea like, oh yeah, it's way over there. And, and the time, you, you know, you learn over time with, when you see the birds, it's always when you don't have your binoculars is when something it comes around and it makes it really mad. So you learn to, like Jen said, never basically not have your binoculars at, at arm's yes. reach, whether it's in the <laughs> exactly. car, on your body, you know, and, and that is, like you said, that's the fun thing about birding. It's, you can do it anywhere. You're always a little distracted by it. So. Mm -hmm. You have like a quick draw holster for your binoculars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And probably more than one pair. Yes. Oh man, that's expert level. I probably have to do that just because I lose a pair or I leave one <laughs> pair at home and it's kind of like your glasses you have to have several pairs hanging around everywhere oh, yeah. Yeah. and usually they're somewhere super obvious like on top of your head <laughs> <laughs> yep yep <laughs> well I'm curious ladies we've got a lot of gals listening in that maybe have minimal birding experience just do a little bit of backyard birding or perhaps have never gone at all so what's your favorite thing um, of course other than the birds about birding um, well I mean we already like I said kind of hit on that, that huge thing about being able to, to, to do it whenever, whenever you want, wherever. I mean, aside from the obvious answer, I assume all of us agree with, you know, being outside is a place we all love to be. So that's an obvious answer, but you know, like I said, you can bird anywhere. And like you said, the, the startup is, is so simple as well. You know, you could start as easily as, as paying attention to your, your backyard. I mean, you can set up bird feeders and just do some simple backyard birding. It doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to go miles and miles and take all this time to, um, to bird, but uh, it's an easy, fun thing to get started in. You know, the birding community is um, super helpful, super friendly. We're all so passionate about birds and what we do is we're super easy to talk to and we could probably talk about it all day. So, if, you know, there's just always someone to, to turn to. Um, and as far as, you know, startup goes, it's fairly it can be fairly inexpensive you know like i said equipment is minimal you don't need a whole lot whether it's a, a good bird book or a good birding app and then you know you don't have to have your thousand dollar binoculars you can buy some some nice equipment for um fairly inexpensive prices so i was just going to echo kind of what she said the biggest thing with me is it's kind of therapy you know when you are stuck in the office and i think we can all probably the four of us agree that you get tired of sitting in front of that computer when there's so much things outside that we love. It's a big stress relief to be able to go out and do that. And even the, you know, super common birds, it's just really awesome to, to watch them, you know, to, to see them in their natural environment doing their thing. But for me too, it's the camaraderie that you get when you can enjoy something that so many other people do. I love completely dorking out, you know, to birds <laughs> with all of these people that I know that also love them. Um, but it's a lot of fun. You get to see some really amazing things and, and go amazing places. Or like Chelsea said, stay right where you're at, um, even in your backyard, but still witness some really cool things with friends and family. Absolutely. I love that. And that's for someone who doesn't know very much about birds, but has had the wonderful opportunity to go out with folks like Chelsea and Jen with your dad, um, it's got to be one of my favorite things is, like you said, slowing down and seeing things, noticing things that maybe others don't notice from the day to day, but also just that sense of camaraderie of even if I don't know a ton, 
um, find you a birding buddy and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll get you up to speed. It's such a welcoming community. And I really adore that. Yeah. And like you said, as much fun as it is for, for you, like you said, you have a good time learning from people and, and getting into this. It's like I said earlier, it's, it's as much fun for me, at least to share that with people. Cause like Jen said, we're, you know, a bunch of bird nerds. We love to talk about it. We love finding new people that want to talk about it and want to learn about it. So it's, Absolutely. it's a lot of fun to, yeah, to be able to, to share that, what, why we feel such joy when we do it. We love to see that kind of light up in other people. So, oh yeah, there's nothing like being with uh, someone who gets a life bird while you're with them. You know, that's a really cool feeling. They're so excited. First time they've ever seen this animal in their entire life. And and of course I feel that way anytime I get a chance to go somewhere too, but it's a lot of fun. Um, The enthusiasm and, and things like that. It's really great. And of course, even if you're not really into birds, it's an opportunity for you to see other stuff too. I think of this time I was out for a Christmas bird count actually, and with three other guys in a pickup and we turned a corner at Cheyenne Bottoms in our little area. And we saw this uh, scene in front of us and the two guys in front were like, oh, there's a cat. And I'm like, oh, maybe look at that again. That's a bobcat. And it was actually crouched down trying to hunt a rabbit and we turned and stopped and we actually got to watch it go after the rabbit and succeed and take off, you know, and it was, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's stuff you don't get to normally see. Even if it's not birds, you may see other, you know, wildlife or what have you out there. That's, that's a really awesome experience. You know, on a Saturday, Sunday morning when it's not as crazy of trying to get out the door to go to school and work and our, for my family, we find ourselves just staring out at the window, our kitchen window at whatever birds may be in our backyard. And it's, it is, it's typically your, your normal birds, your popular birds that you see, but something about that, like you, to echo what you said, it's just a relaxing therapy, just to kind of sit there and stare and daze into the world and watch what these birds are doing. As many of us or many people are kind of trapped inside these days, given the the pandemic and maybe for health reasons or as we get into the very cold days and you're trapped inside, birding is that I guess that outdoor skill that you could still look out the big, you know, a big window and, and make yourself feel as if you're outdoors. Yeah, Julia, I remember my mom had a great big birding book and um, she had bird feeders all around the front windows in our kitchen. And that book would be open and it would be bookmarked with all these little pieces of scrap paper of the birds she had seen. And it was such a wonderful memory of just sitting there and flipping through it when we would see something fly by the kitchen. And I recently inherited that birding book and looked through all of her little marks in it and everything. And it was just a really sweet, um, sweet memory. Yeah, cool. So uh, Jen, you had mentioned earlier a life bird. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what a life bird is? And if you have like a life bird, what your life bird is, or if there's a bird out there you're hoping to see? Well, basically anytime you see a life bird, it's, it's the first time that you've officially seen the bird or started counting. You've maybe your whole life grown up seeing blue jays and things like that. But when you start a life list, then you kind of officially record the first time that you you see it. One of the times that I can think of, I was with a, a another group and 
a lot of people don't realize that we have more than one kind of bluebird species. So in Kansas, the common one is Eastern bluebird. It's one people uh, put the boxes up for and all throughout the state, but we also get mountain bluebirds, there's Western bluebirds. Um, but around where I grew up in central Kansas and Wilson, there was some folks that had never seen them before. So their first time seeing these birds, which we actually got them quite a few, um, that, that was their life bird for the day. Sometimes you can go someplace and get 20 life birds, you know, all at the same time. If you were to travel to the tropics, you could get hundreds of life birds, you know, so birds you've never seen before. Wow. See, I had no idea. My assumption was that a life bird was like, oh, a once in a lifetime opportunity, but it's really just adding to your yeah. lifetime list. If you could, and you sometimes could that is. It, yeah, you could <laughs> think of it that way. Um, people have, you know, the, that's the one thing that's kind of fun about uh, birding too, is you can make it pretty competitive, um, whether it's with other people or just for yourself, but you can list any way you want. Um, there's county listers, so they keep track of how many birds they see in each county of the state. Um, I know people that keep a list of every bird they've seen in every state they've gone through, but you could very much, you know, pick your favorite bird, the once in the lifetime. You know, a lot of them are fairly rare that we get that come through Kansas that are kind of the, the strange ones that, that make everybody's life list. They've never seen it before, and especially in Kansas, so. Jen, you had that experience as a baby. <laughs> So yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember it, but got that. that one of course, on. I was able to see one later. Okay. <laughs> I was about good. to say, was that on your life list at, you no, know, no. two or three? Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing. Some people, um, you know, obviously birding is seeing the birds, but it's very much hearing them too. And so some people have rules about if I only heard the bird and didn't see it, then I can't count it on my life list and, you know, things like that. So there's all, everybody's got their own standards. <laughs> yeah. There's all sorts of little nuances and standards. That's cool. I love that you can make it what you want because yeah. I don't know about you ladies, but I'm super competitive and kind of bulldoggy. <laughs> so I would definitely get into that aspect. But um, I love that you could also just take a really relaxed approach and set your own rules mm -hmm. and uh, just take it at your own pace. So Chelsea, you have a, and just adorable little girl. Um, I'm curious <laughs> if you have any advice or tips for women on getting out in the field specifically, or uh, women with their families, anything that's helped you guys out or something that you found to be really fun while taking your family out? Yeah. Um you know, uh, kind of like Jen growing up, you know, with her family doing that thing. I, I, I'm the same, my, my parents weren't birders <laughs> growing up, but we were very out, outdoorsy people to camping. Our vacations were centered around, you know, national parks and whatnot. So, so very outdoorsy people. So that was just in my blood already. So I have that with my parents and my family. And luckily I, I, my husband, I married into the same thing. You know, he, he loves to bird. He actually is the one that runs our, our local Christmas bird count here. So um, but, uh, so that was an easy, uh, an easy thing to, to keep going. Um, so we are just an outdoorsy people in general. So we, we bird together. That's a, something that we bond over. Um, and we've, you know, already started carrying that on to our, like you said, she's a little over two now and, and she, we kind of just drag her along with us and she just kind of <laughs> goes along for the ride. And, um, you know, obviously 
time is a little shorter these days than we, we used to be with a, with a young family, but you know, you can still make it work. They love to do what you're doing. You're doing, you know, they love to be with you and, and she's got, you know, we've made her everything from a, a pair of binoculars out of toilet paper rolls to a, she's actually going to get a new little pair of real binoculars for Christmas, a little outdoor kit that we were going to get her. So, so it's just, it's easy, just like it's easy for us to start up. It's easy for them. And they, like I said, they, they do as you do. So she, she, it's, I love watching her look through those binoculars, whether she can really see anything or not. It's fun either way, but um, so yeah, it's a super easy, fun thing to, to do with your family. Like I said, you've, you might need to slow down after, you know, you, you can't just go out and do whatever you want these days with a, with a young family, but it, you can still make it work and it's a lot of fun. So just, if it, if you care that much about it, you know, it's, you, you just, you work hard to keep, keep those traditions going and to keep that interest alive in your own family. So we've, we've had a lot of fun with it and I'm looking forward to her just getting, getting older and, and teaching her even more stuff about it. I'll see your spot on. Um, I have four kiddos at home and all four of them ranging from the age of uh, 10 to three enjoy birding. You know, we're, we're not quite the enthusiasts that, that you are, <laughs> but you know, our neighbors are, they love birding. And so they have actually got the kids into it. And cool. even if it's just as simple as I did be able to walk out that front door and hear the, the woodpecker um, trying to discover lunch you know, that, that is that sound in general is just those simplest things. And they don't have to be a wild, crazy new bird. You know, that age just loves even seeing a cardinal. Chelsea, you had mentioned that your husband actually directs the Christmas bird count here. Uh, uh-huh. Can you and Jen tell us a little bit more about the Christmas bird count, what that is, and maybe a little bit about how it got started? Yeah, sure. And then Jen, feel free to to hop in um, any anytime too. I'm not I'm not an expert. I mean, I've been doing the Christmas bird count for several years now. Like I said, I I don't run any personally. My husband does the one around here. He's actually been trying to hand it off to me the last couple of years, but it just hasn't worked. Out. I just always seem to be a little busy around this time of year. But um, but maybe someday. Um, but I definitely help. With it. You know, it's a long running. It's a wildlife census for um for birds. It assesses the the health of the bird populations. For the Audubon Christmas bird counts, it runs from usually about the 14th of December. So coming up, it's getting ready to start next week to January 5th is the last when you can report it. And it started out back in about 1900. It used to be a hunt, a Christmas hunt. They used to go out and take a side of a field and and see how many birds they can each shoot down and and, and gather and they'd bring it back and it kind of be a little competition. And then they you know, a group of people started realizing that maybe that wasn't the be- the best thing for our birding yeah. our population, and and kind of wanted to change that a little bit. So it, they they turned it in instead to a kind of a Christmas bird census or count that it is now, and it's always like I said around around Christmas, which is why it's called that. Jen, you can you can hop in. You know why oh, it's important. Yeah, um, but, yeah. Know. Like she was saying, I think they called it the side hunt, maybe. Um, but Frank Chapman was the gentleman who was like, you know, why don't we just go look at them instead of shooting the birds to see what's out there? <laughs> Novel and concept. Like she said, <laughs> started out in 1900. So we are on the 120th Christmas bird count season. That's pretty amazing to have over a century's worth of data on the birds. And I think probably when they first started, they didn't have all that many counted and they did have more than one, but I think it was only sort of in the north 
um, northeast part of the United States and Canada. So lots, lots and lots of data. That's really cool to probably go back and see what people were seeing back then. A lot of data oh, yeah. that, um, that helps with other surveys, you know, combined with yes. some of the other surveys that can be done throughout the year, it really kind of sends a whole, a whole picture of kind of the health of, you know, the, the entire country's, you know, continents, you know, bird populations and how they've, how they've changed, good, good and bad. Yeah. So it, as a whole has been very helpful with um, conservation. Yeah. We've obviously seen some species that probably ex- went extinct during that time. So there's stuff that they may have seen that we don't have anymore. It's, you know, measuring how climate is affecting bird ranges and things like that. And one of the things too is for Kansas, the Kansas Ornithological Society is also involved with the Christmas bird count. So if, if you want to participate in one, then you can go to the KOS website and that we've got all the compilers across the state in one location so you can get a hold of them. And we also do Christmas bird counts before and after the Audubon date range. So there are a few that take place before the 14th of December, and there's a few that take place after the 5th of January. And then there are other ones in between that for one reason or another, they don't send their data to Audubon, but it's sent to Kansas Ornithological Society. So they still keep track of all that information. Jen, you're speaking of data, where, you know, is this data accessible to the public to view or where could I find this data? Yeah, there's, there's lots of different places. Kansas Ornithological Society compiles their own list of it and they actually put it in the Hornlark newsletter. So, and then that gets archived and it's actually in libraries all across the United States. Audubon has their data uh, storage And I can't tell you for sure because I don't actually compile, but the folks that compile, they have to put log things into the Audubon website. So they have access to those kinds of things. And then um, the American Birding Association usually does sort of a overall compilation of all of them across the United States and makes note of any uh, specific changes that are fairly relevant or different interesting species if there's been a huge population drop from what the average has been those kinds of things so and of course people are doing lists on eBird and you can actually I think do searches for Christmas bird counts um, lists on eBird so there's quite a few different places that you can find things and I probably don't know all of it and may need corrected on some of that but Nope, that's okay. This is obviously one of the greatest examples of citizen science in history. This is such an incredible program. Can anybody at any level get involved, whether it's to help participate or even just to observe? Or is this is there a cutoff for the level of experience you need to have? There's absolutely anybody can join to make sure that data is not skewed too much. The compilers are probably going to put amateurs or new people in with experienced folks that have done this before. That way they, you know, get kind of a better data set, but anybody can go. Kids go, you know, people that have never bird watched before. Yeah. And the nice thing, um, yeah, in any age, um, a lot of times, you know, any, any ability, even as far as physical, but, you know, a lot of the counts are done from out of, out of vehicles, from driving, you know, you these people don't have to hike miles and miles of, you know, strenuous birding 
Um, so it's a, a really easily accessible activity for people to do. If you, you find an account near you, you know, all the all the circles are, are listed and, and contacts, you know, all you need is a, is a day. And um, a lot of times, you know, sometimes they can even sometimes provide binoculars and bird books and, and yeah, they'll, they'll set you up with people that are a little more experienced. And I guess we didn't even really explain what exactly you do. <laughs> How um, it's done, she yeah. was saying, yeah, she was saying circles and it's like, oh, <laughs> basically any place that does a Christmas bird count, they've, they've picked a, a point and then made a 15 diameter, 15 mile diameter circle around that point, And that's your count circle. So you have basically 24 hours of bird watching in that circle. And you do the same circle every year. So most counts run during the daylight hours. There are some people that will get up and do what they call owling hours. So they go out and try yeah, get the owls. You don't even have to go drive around anywhere. You can be a feeder watcher. They keep track of all the different parties. So each party, so if there's a group of people riding in a vehicle together, they're one party and you keep track of how many miles you've driven. If you've got out and walked, how far you've walked. And same, there's groups that will, that's all they do is maybe just watch what birds are at their feeder, that kind of thing. And then they even allow you to include what they call count week birds. So if there was a really awesome bird um, that was three days before the count day or three days after, you can still count it as part of count week. And it gives them just a little more data, kind of gives them an idea of what's moving through. Yeah. And like, like Jen said, you, as far as the stuff that's generally record, like I said, it can be done on, uh, you know, by car, by foot, by many other modes of transportation, depending on the um, the place in the group, but uh, you record that, you record, you know, weather, like she said, the distance that you go, the time you spend, what kind of transportation you did use, usually all the participants are recorded. Like she said, a lot of times, or for, for ours at least, we, you know, split it up into kind of four quadrants, and depending on how many people can participate, we split them up into vehicles. The edge of Pratt is in, involved in it, so there's a few parks that will just have a group go walk around the park, so you don't even have to leave and go, you know, if you just want to stick around and go to the parks and, and, and do that, so there's lots of options. I love how accessible and inclusive that activity is. That's just absolutely wonderful. Okay, well, we can jump back into it. Sorry for the sidebar. <laughs> So ladies, you've talked so much about this Christmas bird count and it sounds so exciting. Approximately how many different species of birds can be found in Kansas at any given time? Let's see. I think our list, because of the yellow-eyed junco, it's jumped up to 482 for the entire state that's been recorded. Um, Wow. Probably... I know at least three of those species are considered extinct, so those aren't possible. Um, and well, they still, Eskimo curlew is another bird that's still c- counted on lists, but it's also most likely extinct. Um, so there's another one. Um, let's see, right now there is a woman who just broke the record of most birds recorded in the state of Kansas during a year. So basically she did a big year and her, uh, her current number is 362 birds. So wow. she, she broke the record from a man who held it before. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I can't remember how many more species she saw, but wow. um, I, she's got to be at least 
three or four birds maybe over what the record was before. So in general, uh, the common birds, you know, 350 would be a good year, a really good year. Um, but there's almost 500 species that have been found in the state of Kansas. So, and as things change, you know, who knows, um, we get birds that kind of drift up from hurricanes or this year was a weird year because of all the fires in the West and the, the drought. And so we had lots of Western species move further East than, than normal. Interesting. So Very interesting. Kind of depends on the year. Yeah, and I and I don't I don't know where I looked this up, but it's I swear I saw the other day where Kansas is like 16th or something, even if it's a few you know off 16th you know state as far as the most most species of birds <laughs> found, yeah. which to me is is crazy. I, when you think of Kansas, you just you don't. I mean, you know, even people oh, from yeah. it don't really you don't really think about, oh, it's this diverse, you know, fun we're, place. We're to the flyover birds. state, right? But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so is Nebraska. But, yeah. but really, I mean, it might not sound super exciting to some people, but but really our state is positioned in such a great place mm -hmm. to get such a variety of species from, from all directions. I mean, besides, yes, being in that central flyway and having some great wildlife refuges and, you know, stuff that they can stop over at, we have such a, Kansas is such a diverse um environment where there's just so many different types of habitats in all four corners that you get yes. some crazy birds from out west and, and back east and the north like she said pushed up from weather and and stopped over or lost or whatever they're doing but um and so it's you just don't think of it um as being this this fun diverse birding spot but it, it will surprise you so which is yeah i i have not even tapped probably a lot of the species that I could potentially see in Kansas yet. So, so it is exciting. Now the birds that we're talking about is, are these mainly your songbirds or when you're doing a bird count, do you include waterfowl in your bird count or do you include the sandhill cranes will yeah. be moving in here in the next couple of months? Uh, are those included in yeah, the bird counts? You, now it's you not count everything. Okay, yep. great. Yep every bird so you're looking at every species the our department you know keeps track of of different kinds of things more for game purposes you know they do waterfowl surveys and things like that but you're counting everything okay I'll, I'll, i'm sorry it's more noticeable to me when i see a wall <laughs> see a duck or a goose or a crane <laughs> I love the way you ladies think, and I think Julia and I can both appreciate that you guys are really changing the narrative from making Kansas a flyover state to being a fly-through state with these birds. That's yep. this is the dorkiest thing I've said on this podcast so far, but it really is true. <laughs> or even fly to, so. Yeah. Um, or get lost in, whatever, well, you know. We, um, we get super high numbers of things like Harris's sparrows or American robins that come from other parts of the United States and end up in the Kansas region in, in the winter. Same with um, the red-tailed hawk has just ridiculous amounts of color variation depending on what region of the continent they're from. And we get all of those different varieties. So like Chelsea said, it really is kind of a special place to be, especially in the wintertime. Wow. Well, you ladies are clearly so passionate. Um, we're starting to run out of time here, but I did want to ask before you go a little bit about ways that birders give back to wildlife management and conservation. Um, so how are birders involved in that? They're donating to many different types of organizations. There's 
you know, local things like the Kansas Ornithological Society or Audubon chapters, but there's lots of other wildlife and conservation organizations. A lot of people buy uh, duck stamps to kind of um, help with that habitat in particular. Uh, one of the things that I think people probably don't uh, realize is wildlife viewing in itself is a huge boost to the economy. Approximately, what is it, 86 million people or probably more since the last time I saw some of the surveys are, are participating in some sort of wildlife viewing and birding is one of the top ones. And those people are spending like $1,200 a person on equipment, you know, there's jobs related to this kind of thing. And so it's it's a billion dollar economy boost. Yeah, and, and even, um, you know, like Jen said, you know, giving to those, those chapters of societies, you know, buying state park passes and duck stamps and stuff. It's, it's also all about just, like I said, advocating for that stuff, sharing, sharing the information, introducing mm -hmm. people to this hobby. You know, it's, it goes back to, you know, making, making people care so they care about conservation, you know, the whole, you know, the R3 stance even, yeah. you know, it goes back to the same with the fishing and the hunting and buying license, you know, let people, you know, try to make people understand why it's important and get them into it, get them, you know, to, to care about it. And, and then they will start maybe, you know, donating to some of these things or participating mm -hmm. in these activities because they under, they have a, a better connection with it, a better understanding of why it's important and why we love it. And all of these things and the economic impact, it's incentive to preserve habitat and, you know, and pay attention to bird conservation and especially in the legislative side of things, you know, if it's making money somewhere, then it matters more. So it's got some impact. There's more reason. Ecotourism <laughs> is, is a huge thing and it's, it's helping protect habitat. It's keeping really tiny towns alive all across the United States. You know, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. Jen, you're spot on, you know, especially when the um, sandhill cranes fly through Nebraska in our Grand Island, uh, Kearney, central Nebraska area, uh, and they, they take a break on the Platte River during their migration period. The tourism is phenomenal uh, through that time frame, and the people that come into Nebraska worldwide to visit yeah. the birds. You guys uh, get Jade Goodall come out to come yes. out the cranes. Oh my, you know, yes, it is. It's absolutely amazing to watch that bird and then to see people that come. Tourism effects of that, those small communities, the larger communities. Mm -hmm. You know, in this past year, you know, unfortunately we had to shut down those blinds and all that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that it, it made a, a significant impact when uh, the, the cranes were coming through just at the beginning of the, the COVID and we weren't quite sure how to react to all that. Obviously, COVID's not going to disappear by the next time these birds come in. COVID's not stopping them. They're still migrating. They're going to still be here. And we're going to encourage people to still go out and bird and enjoy the great outdoors and support your community, support the habitat, support conservation and continue doing that. Well, ladies, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today and sharing a little bit about your passion. Uh, we're so fortunate to have you with our agency here at Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks and Tourism, and so fortunate to have you in the birding community of Kansas. So thank you both so much. Yeah, thank you for having us. That was fun. Yeah. Like I said, I love nerding out on, on birds with people. So 
I don't get to with Chelsea very often. I know. I know. I know. I'm stuck talking to your dad all day. I, I guess know. I have to. <laughs> all of you. But that's okay. I'll take it. No, this was a lot of fun. Like I said, it's yeah. it's always fun to chat about what we what we love. So thank you yeah. very much for having us. We definitely had a great conversation on birding and you know the Christmas bird count today for this episode. We want to thank our audience for tuning in. We want to thank our guests for joining us uh, for this week's episode of She Goes Outdoor Podcast. We want everyone to keep listening to us. Share it with your friends, share with your families, tell everyone about our podcast. We generally post every week with a different topic, hoping to encourage others to join us um, in a new outdoor pursuit or to improve your skills. All of our episodes are posted on the website of sgooutdoors.com. You can listen from your computer, a tablet, or phone from our website, or for your convenience, um, it's also posted on our Facebook, Instagram, and you can reach us um, on your podcast app to whatever it is easy for you. So again, thank you, audience, for joining us, and we will see you outdoors. Outdoors.